Texas Family Doc Talk. I'm Jonathan Nelson with the Texas Academy of Family Physicians coming to you from the satellite office of TAFP headquarters, aka my closet in Austin, Texas, where cloth masks are the latest fashion and toilet paper is somehow still unobtainable. This is our third episode of Texas Family Doc Talk, and we're recording this on Wednesday, April 8th, as the number of cases of COVID-19 continues to climb toward its eventual peak. As of this morning, the CDC reports there are more than 374,000 cases throughout the country, and more than 12,000 people have died due to complications of the disease. The Paycheck Protection Program we were also hopeful about got off to a rocky start, to say the least, last Friday. That's the Small Business Administration's Relief Loan Program Congress passed as part of the CARES stimulus package. Over the weekend, several large banks announced they would pull out of the program because of the huge volume of applications. We are hopeful that since the Federal Reserve stepped in and promised to finance the program, the process should smooth out in the next week or so, and physician practices that are suffering right now can get some relief. Here at TAFP, we are working to curate resources and important information for our members. Keep an eye out for our TAFP News Now emails and visit the COVID-19 resources page at tafp.org. Now, before I introduce our guest today, I want to say a heartfelt thank you to all of you family physicians, well, physicians of all specialties, and nurses and all other healthcare providers who are going to work each day and caring for their patients without appropriate personal protective equipment, I might add, and putting yourselves in harm's way in these uncertain and frankly frightening times. You are an inspiration to all of us, and we are eternally grateful. Okay, so let's get this show on the road. So, our community-based independent primary care physicians are our frontline defense against any major health crisis, not to mention the chronic disease and behavioral health problems that plague our communities. But many of those doctors are reporting a 50 to 75% drop-off in patient visits in the past few weeks, which has paralyzed their cash flow and thrown their businesses into serious economic distress. Joining us today to talk about this is Dave Chase, creator, co-founder, and CEO of Health Rosetta, and the author of The CEO's Guide to Restoring the American Dream, and most recently, The Opioid Crisis Wake-Up Call. Hey, Dave, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. really appreciate it. Hey, how are things going for you? Are you uh, sheltering at home and eating your way through the pantry like we are? Um, yes, uh, we. I'm in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, we're we're managing. You know, got a, every, all the kids are at home, um, and so getting a lot of lot of family time. Well, you guys really saw this uh, for you know first in the country. So, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of connections with Kirkland. We used to live there. My kids were born in the hospital where the first victims uh, went and friends with the assistant city manager of Kirkland, which is where this existed. Um, and then actually the place we moved to after that has presently the highest per capita rate of COVID-19. It's a resort town where a lot of Seattle people go in the mountains. And uh, so, yeah, and we have a friend there that, 
got hit, she actually works at a hospital. Um, and, you know, to your, your introduction, I mean, that's, we're, we're so appreciative of people who are in that environment and uh, putting themselves in harm's way and, and doing, you know, really what they've been called to do. Um, and so very appreciative of that. And, and on top of all that, uh, three, three to four weeks ago, my daughter was in Italy. Um, she was in a study abroad program in Northern Italy. And so we kind of got a little preview, right. Of, of all wow. that before it came home. So fortunately she came back safe and sound, you know, got a test. She didn't have any symptoms, but was able to get a test and was negative. Um, so it was fine, but, uh, definitely have a lot of connections to this whole issue. Your company, Health Rosetta, I'm reading from your website, healthrosetta.org. It says, the Health Rosetta is the blueprint for high-performance health benefits. Uh, your focus is mostly on promoting policies that drive down cost in the healthcare system, and you're targeting mostly employers. Am I right? Tell us about your company. Yeah, I mean, we're really about empowering community-owned health plans to relocalize health and well-being that have been extracted. The way we do that is we equip benefits advisors um, that have, with the knowledge and tools to implement these health plans uh, that typically cost 20 to 40% less with superior outcomes. Well, how do you do that? Germane to our discussion, why I'm so passionate about uh family medicine, primary care, is there just no well-functioning healthcare system in the world not built on proper primary care? My last book, I mentioned it over 150 times, the, the book around the opioid crisis. Um, so that's, that's really our core, right? We um, were an enabler and uh, we're on the ground working, you know, in plans and the employer arena is the tip of the spear, although there's really very little about the health Rosetta that's employer specific or candidly even U.S. specific. It's what works and how do we propagate that as widely as possible, because the good news is the many shortcomings of our healthcare system, all the problems have been identified and the solutions are there and are proven. Uh, the challenge is how do you broadly replicate them? Not that the solution doesn't exist. It's not yet mainstream. And so that's the, that's the big challenge. So that leads me right to what I'm hoping to really talk about today. You are, uh, are among a growing chorus of voices calling for a Marshall Plan approach to saving our primary care and public health infrastructure. Um, make the case. Why, why is that what we need? Well, you know, I mentioned the personal connection with Italy, really following what they're do, you know, doing, what they've learned in many cases the hard way. And it's very clear that the situation there was made much worse by bringing people into hospitals. It really needs to be addressed out in the community um, with primary care on the, really the front lines. And at a time when we most need primary care on the front lines, as you're, you mentioned, uh, with this wacky 
mistake of history way that we've paid for primary care on a fee-for-service basis, that has put these practices in real jeopardy. And the last thing we need is more independent practices to be gobbled up by private equity or health systems or whatever that aren't putting our uh, community health interests at the top, um, which, you know, independent family docs definitely do. So the metaphor that you guys are working off of with the the Marshall Plan, I mean, of course, we all know from history, the Marshall Plan uh, was implemented uh, after World War II to save a, a devastated Europe. How does that metaphor work in uh, this infrastructure investment that you guys invest? Yeah, I mean, I, I you, know, you were, use the word devastation. That is the word that I have used to indicate what we have done to devastate um, family medicine and primary care. You know, folks are holding the line to the best of their abilities, but we've done everything imaginable to undermine it. And so we had devastation coming into this crisis, and now we're really seeing that and some of the financial uh, piece of it. And we need to rebuild um, our primary care infrastructure. Um, and that's why the Marshall Plan is is what came to mind. You know, again, mentioned World War II, uh, the employer-based healthcare system in the U.S., the British National Health Service. These are things that came as either during or as a byproduct of World War II. And I believe that we are in that dynamic, uh, kind of a warlike dynamic where things that in the past might have taken years, even a decade, are happening in days and weeks. I was actually just reading a, a piece from in Medscape from seven years ago. It was a gathering of uh, four of the past CMS administrators to a person. They were all saying the stupidest thing they ever did was allowed for the payment model that we have in place. And they, one of them said, this is seven years ago, um, probably the thing that will get it to change is some crisis where everything gets thrown out. And so I see with the Marshall Plan, a unique the primary care Marshall Plan, a unique dynamic where we've got to get resources to the front lines today. Right. We can't say, hey, go out on the front lines and yeah, you know, we're going to run out of food and, and bullets and everything in a couple of weeks. But don't worry about that. Right. Imagine you're a soldier being told that. And to their credit, CMS has stepped forward and done the right short term thing. And we know, you know, many of the payment models follow CMS. And so we're saying, man up, woman up health plans, you know that you need to have independent primary care. It's already a, a very small percentage. It needs to be higher, but we're just talking about doing something that's budget neutral on an already too low basis so that we can keep our primary care troops fully focused. We don't need somebody who needs to fully focus in on their community worrying about laying people off and closing their doors and all that. I mean, how can you be effective if you're worrying about that? Yeah. So so you mentioned prospective payment, and I know that's maybe the most crucial plank in uh, in this in in what we're calling the Marshall Plan for Primary Care. But I don't think 
you know, I know physicians probably know more about, have a better idea about what that is. But when I ask people in the general public, if they, you know, to define for me what they think I mean when I say prospective payment, uh, they don't have a clue. So can you, for for our listeners, give us a definition of, of what you would mean, uh, what you mean by that and how uh, how it might work in, in practice? Yeah, I mean, the... The basic idea is there's predictable budgetable things that you don't put into insurance, right? When when we buy cars, um, you know, if we manage our budget well, we, we know how long the car will last. We'll make investments in it. Um, we'll put gas in the tank. We'll change tires. We'll get oil changed. We never pull out our state farm card when we do that. Um, that's absurd, right? Nobody thinks about doing that. Well, in healthcare, we, we do that. We, we add a 40% insurance, insurance bureaucracy tax on top of, and then pay after the fact when we, you know, primary care, family medicine is all about proactively managing care. Um, and, uh, before things go off the rails, we know that, you know, other than some very unfortunate events, much of what, um, people face, we know they're either on a path or they already have a chronic condition. Let's proactively manage that. That's a budgetable thing. Just like, you know, painting your house, maintaining your furnace, right? These are things that you don't think about, you know, way after there's a you know, flood in your house, like, oh, there's a flood in your house. Okay, well, maybe we should replace our uh, furnace and paint our house. Like, these are different things. So, uh, so from a from a nuts and bolts aspect, what what you're what you're talking about is, say, a monthly fee that an insurer or a payer, Medicare or whomever, would pay for uh, for each. Uh, for each covered life that they have to receive, you know, a, a range of benefits through their primary care provider. So the, the provider is getting paid. Um, I mean, it's the provider is getting paid one uh, fee to provide the services uh, rather than billing uh, on a per service basis, a fee, traditional fee. For exactly. Service. And there, you know, there's different flavors of that. You know, there's some Medicare Advantage plans who do that. Um, but yeah, it's that same basic model, right? You just pay a, a fixed fee and then you have uh, every motivation to um, keep that person well. You know, I mean, we're not going to go to ancient China, but there was a, you probably heard the story about how apparently in ancient China, you only got paid as a doctor when your patients were healthy. Um, and which is kind of novel approach. Um, but you know, that's the basic idea. And I've, I've experienced it personally with my folks. Um, it's breathtaking, um, how much better it is for everybody involved. We put everything through the quadruple aim filter, just common sense. You treat the care team well, professional and non-professional members of the care team, by, way, by the way, um, that's naturally going to improve the patient experience. When you do that, that's kind of when the magic happens, where that, there's that partnership. Um, that naturally leads to better health outcomes. It's common sense. And as long as you're in the right payment model, that reduces costs. It's, again, common sense, but sometimes the least common thing is common sense, especially in healthcare. You know, in a in a prospective payment uh, model, um, I think patients are going to have greater access to primary care. They're going to they're going to have access to uh, they're, they're not going to be hampered by uh, racking up out of pocket costs to go in and get whatever 
care it is that they need from their family physician or their other or, or another primary care physician. So they get greater access and the physician um, is going to be unburdened from a lot of that, you know, from that mountain of paperwork and and all of the uh, the administrative burdens that keep them from spending more time with their patients, which is what both the physicians and the patients want out of the system. So it just seems to me like it makes so much more sense. And in a time of crisis like we're currently in, uh, the insurers, they've ar- they already know, the payers already know what their outlay is going to be. Their risk is, you know, built into that model. And the physicians have uh, a, a revenue stream that they can depend on. Yep, exactly. I mean, it's really quite straightforward. Um, and so it's just, it's time to do it. I mean, it's terrible that we're going through this situation, um, but it really is shining a big light on the fact that in my view, we've had a Cadillac healthcare system that's been producing Pintos and in terms of health outcomes and the Pinto just got rear-ended, it's blowing up and we can choose to rebuild the Pinto, uh, or we have the opportunity to improve it. And, you know, I'm in the camp of, okay, we know how to do this. Let's have what's an innovation always comes from the edges. And so we're not having to dream up something new here. It's happening in the U.S. It's happening outside. It's just not mainstreamed yet. So it's now time to mainstream it. Right. Yeah. Those models are out there. Okay. So, uh, so payment, uh, payment reform to prospective payment is number one, uh, ask from a Marshall plan. Give me some other, uh, ideas. What else is in the Marshall plan for primary care? Well, it's really around that. Um, and it's, if you get the prospective payment, they basically get the payment model, right. Um, you know, docs went in, you know, they had a calling, right? They know what to do when they're unshackled. Nobody went into medicine to spend two hours on insurance bureaucracy for every one hour of patient time, you know, and it sort of sucked their soul. Um, And so we're just saying like, that is the foundational piece in terms of the broader picture. um, There's things, of course, outside of the, the, primary care facet of a Marshall plan. And that's essentially this blueprint that we have. Again, it wasn't something where I climbed the top of some mountain and crossed my legs and dreamt this up. All I did was go on the scavenger hunt around the country, find these models that are working. Patients love it. Doctors love it. Great outcomes. Um, And there's other elements of how you work, you know, with pharmacy, how you work with specialty care. Again, a lot of it's just common sense, but you just you get the incentive structure right. Then good things follow. Yeah. Yeah. I know when 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 we're talking about it, uh, about the Marshall Plan idea um, back in the office, um, we're looking at a couple of other areas like uh, like um, like producing more primary care physicians. Like what, what mm-hmm. can our what can our investment and in, in reforms in graduate medical education be? And what can we do with around, you know, loan forgiveness for uh, to get a better geographic distribution of our physician workforce and, you know, things like that. And then I don't think you can be in this situation we're in right now and not recognize how woefully unprepared we were as a nation as far as, you know, 
uh, PPE stock stockpiles and and uh, and certainly ventilators. And so, where's our uh, big call for um, for an investment in that public health infrastructure so that we can um, so that we can ensure that that never happens again? Uh, so we would, if if I you know if I were writing the Marshall Plan, I think we'd probably put that uh, put that piece in there. But certainly, the prospective payment pieces is the thing that we need to fix primary care. There's just no question yeah. about it. And that's that's part of the idea of a community-owned health plan is that I mean, for sure, there are things that the federal government, state government, need to do. Um, but health is starts at the home and the neighborhood. It doesn't start in a pill, doesn't start in a hospital, doesn't start in DC, doesn't start in, in Austin. Um, it starts at home. You know, th- the way I look at it is we have this biological virus ripping through um, the country and the world. We've had a virus, metaphorical virus in our healthcare system. And part of that is a convoluted economic model that um, it's not like it's breaking news that we're going to have health issues like this. You know, there's been people for a long time. I know the George W. Bush administration, that was a big focus. One of the reasons they invested in community health. Um, you had uh, certainly the last administration. Um, and, you know, I I would look to the governance structure of of fire departments and how they can handle most fires. And most of what they do is prevention, right? It's building codes, it's smoke alarms, it's public education. Sure, they need the fire engine. Um, And when there's a really major fire, that's when regional and national resources get brought in on board. But most of the time, um, you know, it's just absurd that we don't have proper equipment. And it shows you like, if we just, you know, had a few, fewer marble, you know, uh, fountain filled, ostentatious lobbies and art collections and hospitals, we could easily afford all, you know, a, a huge stockpile of protective equipment. And we know that we have really underinvested in public health. And that's, again, another thing, when you just look at what drives outcomes, you know, only 10 or 20% of health outcomes are from the healthcare system. It's these other things that a lot of this excess has stolen from public health and on these other things that, again, that's a part of the bigger picture. And that's where public health and primary care, I mean, they work hand in glove um, and when it's working well. So what do you say the next steps are for us to, to move this idea forward? Who do we have to convince? Well, it's really, um, you know, th- there's both grassroots and top down. Um, so there's efforts and anybody, you know, should join it to call on the large insurance carriers who are flush with cash. You know, claims have gone way down. You know, they were already pretty flush before. Um, it, it's the governors and the mayors, right? They're all large employers, themselves. They care about the, the, the health and well-being. They could tell their plan administrators, they're self-insured, pay prospectively now, stat. They can do that. They are the real insurer uh, in this. Um, and then the other thing that sometimes docs forget is they have patients who are running businesses. They are mayors. They are county executives. They are legislators. All of that. Um, 
docs are incredibly trusted and it would be a real missed opportunity if they don't at this time where they not only have their own crisis, but we have a broader crisis that they didn't use that long and well-earned trust that they have to reach out to those people and say, look, this is straightforward. Um, we need to step up. Well, if folks want to learn more about the Marshall Plan for Primary Care and about Health Rosetta, where should they go? Well, healthrosetta.org slash Marshall Plan. Um, so you can get the Marshall Plan there and then you can cruise around the rest of the site and realize that, you know, the Calvary's not coming from D.C. to fix healthcare. Um, this is a do-it-yourself health reform movement in a sense. And it's it's really amazing what's going on. And, you know, one of the examples that I, I've given the book, but also as a focus of my TED Talk, organization that the foundation of their um, health plan, it's a hotel company, is proper primary care. And cumulatively over 20 years, they've saved nearly $400 million this is a hotel organization. Uh, guess what? They're the only, last I checked, I've been checking pretty regularly, they're the only major hotel to be still open in Orlando. You know, and certainly they're getting hit hard and they hadn't laid any pe people off at that point. Um, and uh, how, why is that? They don't have any debt. Why is that? Because they had the right health plan in place that saved them money. How do they do that? Primary care. So we have great models out there. Um, we just need to, to follow that. And that's not even the whole story. I mean, there's a whole other dimension to that story that's just amazing. And that's the type of thing we just need to have happen everywhere. Wow. Yeah, no doubt about it. Is there there's information about that at, at Health Rosetta? Yeah, I mean, you can go, um, you know, to our site. You'll see links to the TED Talk, which highlights that. You'll see links to download my books for free, PDF versions. Rosen Hotels is the name of the organization, so you can see the case study in the book. Uh, we also do employer webinars, and we have them on a webinar. Um, so there's lots of resources that we make available, or just you know, email me dave.chase at healthrosetta.org. And if you can't find it, we'll find it for you. Yeah, and we'll we'll put links up in our show notes as well. And then, you know, we also you, you can also go and read a great blog post about the Marshall Plan for Primary Care on the TAFP blog uh, right now. Dave, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, folks, that's about it for the Marshall Plan for Primary Care show. I want to thank once more Dave Chase of Health Rosetta. Thanks to the team at TAFP for making all this happen. And we'll be back with more shows soon. So subscribe through Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email the show at jnelson at tafp.org and visit us online at www.tafp.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Jonathan Nelson for the Texas Academy of Family Physicians, and this has been Texas Family Doc Talk.